moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we are in for another fantastic episode. This is part of our sales effectiveness series. And in today's episode, there are going to be some critical questions that we are going to be tackling. First, we're going to be looking at why everything that you've been taught about climbing the corporate ladder is flawed. We're also going to learn about why hiring best practices from a sales perspective should include hiring outside of your industry versus your competitors rejects. And then lastly, we're going to learn why it's important to develop your own mentors and mentorship community in service of sales success. So those are heavy topics and a lot of uh, runway to talk about. And our uh, our guest who is going to Sherpa us through this through this journey, we have Wesleyan joining us on the show. And yes, it's only Wesleyan, just like Beyonce, just like Oprah. Welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Thank you so much. And you're like Wesleyan, but you're Dr. Jim. You're just Dr. Jim. You don't have a, a whole extra name afterwards. So I'm just Wesleyan, just like you're Dr. Jim. I'm only Dr. Jim in the intro of the show. The rest of the show, I'm just plain old Jim. So I use the doctor bit on three areas, my signature panel, my LinkedIn profile, and the intro of the show, and that's it. So it is, I think we're in for a pretty nerdy conversation across a number of areas. There are a lot of aspects about your background that resonate with me. And I know that you and I interact pretty regularly on LinkedIn, but for those folks who are not familiar with you and shocker, there are people that are actually not familiar with you. Get us up to speed to get the listeners up to speed on your background, your experience at a high level, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. So I am a recovering chemist and I always say recovering because I'm always a chemist at heart. And so I found myself in a position within my career where I was like, I want more human interaction. So I got into sales and I tell people when I got into sales, I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Like I loved everything about sales and my love and my desire for it really allowed me to accelerate from individual contributor to international sales manager. So as an individual contributor, I read books. I listened to podcasts. I did trainings. I did everything I could to be really excellent. But then I became a manager and it was like somebody dropped me in the middle of the ocean and said, I need you to swim and now bring all these little fish with you so we can all swim together. And I was like, what is happening here? And it was really difficult for me as a brand new sales manager, but I figured out how to get everyone on my team to hit quota every single month. And so I take that love, that passion and that desire that I have to really work with organizations on building strong sales teams by making the manager the nucleus of that organization. So that is my career in a nutshell. 
we have some really skilled guests when they when they come on and you're no exception and one of the things that always surprises me is how they can cliff notes and this is an old person reference how they are so effective at cliff noting basically like 20 years worth of experience in like 2 minutes so i want to <laughs> dig in a couple of different areas so one of the things that that really caught my interest as you were describing your background is the fact that you came from the chemistry and hard sciences space. And the reason why it caught my attention, they're sales professionals in every industry. We're the engine that drives every organization. So that's not surprising. But your journey into sales is atypical, at least from my perspective, it's atypical. So when you look at transitioning from a non-traditional space into sales, how did you navigate that transition process? So without getting too nerdy on the and talking too much about the aspects of chemistry, what I'll do is I'll relate it to what people do in any job that they have, right? Whether you're an accountant or you're an insurance professional, there are tools that you're using. There is software that you're using. There are things that you're using each and every day. So as a chemist, there were all these different things in the lab all these different kinds of instruments I was using. And so my first step into sales was actually selling the things that I was using each and every day. And so I was very fortunate because the company that I first started in sales with said they were looking for somebody who had a technical background with no sales experience. So they wanted somebody who understood the science, who understood how the instruments work. And they're like, okay, we can figure out how to make you a salesperson. And when you're looking for people or when a person is looking for a job in sales, that's the first place that I would say you should start the things that you have the most experience using. So I know that we have a lot of big signposts in terms of lessons and takeaways that we're going to cover through the course of the conversation, but you just dropped something there that I think it's important to call out. And that's just people development strategy in general. So what happened in your situation, if I'm understanding it correctly, you were in a hard technical space and your company actually had a need for sales professionals and they recruited out of their own ranks. So that actually hints at a couple of development strategies that we're going to come into later. But what's significant about how they brought you into that space that other organizations should pay attention to when it comes to developing any kind of talent in general, but sales talent and especially technical sales talent? So one of the things that we talk about when we're working with companies is a lot of times there's this one size fits all onboarding plan and that doesn't work. So you always want to have, I call it a technical track and a sales track because I always say, I don't need you to know how to sell and I don't need you to understand the technology, but you got to understand one of the or the other. Right. And so depending on what side of the point they're on, that's a track that you take them on. So if you have somebody who has a really strong technical background, like if you're selling some kind of SaaS product, maybe they're on the service side or customer success. So they get that world. So teach them how to be a salesperson. Right. And if you have a salesperson who's come from the insurance industry or whatever, teach them the product. So really, that's how companies set their organizations up for success not having a one size fits all, but having two to three different tracks based on what the organization is looking at. That's really good advice. The other aspect of it is that part of your talent strategy should incorporate a grow your own component 
of of your people strategy. I think uh, I think a lot of organizations, and this is my nerd area in terms of talent strategy. A lot of organizations figure, oh, I need salespeople. Let me see what the competition has, and let me hire one of their people. And we're going to get into why that's not exactly wise a little bit later. But I think it's important to call out that when in doubt, my philosophy is you should be looking at high potentials internally that provide a feeder system into your revenue ranks. Any thoughts or comments on that sort of thinking? One of the things that so many organizations suffer with is that the salespeople are seen like the ones that make the most money, right? So they're like, everybody wants to get in sales because they make a lot of money. So that service person, that customer success person, that engineer, they're looking at that. And so when they come in, I always ask someone, a new salesperson, a new person on the team, what does success look like for you? What are your aspirations and what are your goals? And knowing that I have somebody who's fresh out of school, a brand new engineer, and they're like, yeah, I really want to get into sales one day. Then we think about that as we're working on their goals for the year, on the things that they're working on. And then I really think that it's important to the people on the other side of the business, what it's like in sales, because especially underrepresented minorities and women, they don't really have a good view of what sales is. So they shy away from those professions. But when you have ERGs or you have guest speakers coming in, really educating the organization on what it is to be a salesperson and how that as a salesperson, you're not just this used car salesperson. You are like, I like to say you're a consultant. You are helping someone achieve a goal. So really what you said is so true. Promote from within. Let your people know that there is a path for them to move on the other side of the business and they can do other things within the organization. That commentary is so good. I think part of it ties into how are you identifying your future bench strength through those early stage conversations. Fantastic stuff, Wesleyan. We have a sense of where you are now. So I want to wind it back and get into a little bit more detail on how you actually got here. You went from chemistry into individual contributor, into into leadership. Walk us through what that journey looked like and what you learned as you navigated that. When I started in sales about three months in, they said, okay, Whistling, we're sending you to the mothership. We're sending you to Germany. So they sent me to Germany for two weeks to train, to learn all the product knowledge. And then I got back home. They said, okay, start selling. I was like, do what? I know what it does, but I don't know how to find people. So I literally was given a territory that had produced only $50,000 for the previous three or four years. And I had to grow it. Like I said, I just literally absorbed as much information as I possibly could. And in those days, it was still a very non-remote working world. So I started doing lunch and learns. And so I literally, because I had this huge piece of the country from Texas up to the Dakotas down to New Mexico. And so I would fly into Denver and do a bunch of lunch and learns. Then I would go to North Dakota and do the same thing. And literally, just like we do now with going on podcasts or doing webinars, that was a strategy that I used to actually develop the territory. And within 12 months, that $50,000 got to a half a million dollars in my very first year in sales. There are some principles that I want you to walk us through when you unwind that. 
because it's relevant to the teams that I lead and the teams that I've led to to set the context. We're in a world where nobody responds to emails, nobody responds to really phone calls, and they're so inundated with sales messaging that your typical sales approaches aren't going to work. And you built this territory basically from nothing, leading with what? Why did you go the lunch and learn route? What were you trying to accomplish? And how can that be applied to what an individual contributor could do in today's hybrid remote world? Or if they want to meet face-to-face, how could they apply it? It's something that I still firmly believe today. Educate them and they will come. Educate them and they will come. And I would literally, and I, I like the whole path that I did, because obviously I'm like a low person on the totem pole. My boss was like, yeah, sure. We can approve box lunches, but are you going to get a hotel for all of those places? So I would find a professor, a grad student. I'm like, hey, can I have a lunch and learn here? And then I would invite all of the industry people around to the university. And the thing is, I was teaching them something. So again, I was a chemist. I understood our instruments. And so before I actually did my lunch and learn, I had to understand the problems they were having. And so instead of just spewing a bunch of instrument knowledge, it was literally like case studies. This is a challenge somebody had. These are the things that they did to get through it. And literally, and it was amazing. The results I got in 12 months just by educating. For those that will catch this on YouTube when it goes there, I went full out nerd dork mode. And just, I was on mute and raising my hands as if we had scored a touchdown because (laughs) Wesleyan's answer was phenomenal. And I'm a big fanboy about that answer because philosophically it aligns with my view in terms of how you should go out in the world from a sales professional's perspective. We have three key areas that we have to do. And Wesleyan, there's probably other areas that I'm missing. One, we have a responsibility to educate and inspire the world and move them to us. So that is something that I picked up from Steve Watt, but he articulated it. So he's the director of marketing at Seismic. He articulated it in a way I was like, holy crap, that's how I actually show up most of the time when I'm doing my job. So that's one and two, educate and inspire. Like our responsibility is to do that. And then third, we have a responsibility to serve. Yes, we are salespeople, but our job is in service of finding the uh, understanding the problem of our customer and solving it. So prioritization-wise, when you reference, hey, most people think of, especially people from underrepresented communities who don't have a good amount of visibility into the sales world, they picture us, sales professionals, as like these greasy used car salespeople. And when you wire or orient yourself the way that you're describing, educate, inspire, serve, it fundamentally changes how you actually go out in the marketplace. So the stuff that you just talked about when you were setting up Lunch and Learns, it's fantastic. It's applicable today in the same way that you did it when you were an individual contributor. But how could that be leveraged today's delivery vehicles? Like, How could you do another version of it? If you don't want to see people face-to-face, what could you be doing to educate and inspire your audience or your potential customer to pay attention. My favorite platform where I am at all the time. And the funny thing is I actually would say that you have to think about as a salesperson, as a leader, as a person in this world, your personal brand is your brand, right? You should be a person of your word. I literally saw somebody retweeted something. They took a little screenshot. They retweeted something that I posted back in August. 
So literally almost a year ago saying, wow, this is amazing. And that person reached out to me to say, hey, we want you to speak. So they literally went back through nine months of my content to see exactly who I am and what I do. And people are like, but I sell this or I sell that. Talk about the challenges. Talk about the problems people are having. Get outside of your head as a salesperson. Get outside of your head as of what you do. And even the leaders, because the leaders will tell their people to do this, but then they don't do it either, right? They'll say, go post, go do this, go do that. But then what are they posting? Nothing beneficial. So really focus on problems that you can solve with your solution. Your whole comment about, talk about the problem. One of my recent guests, Mitch Stein, who is the CEO and founder of Pond. So they're a tech startup that services the not-profit sector by creating a marketplace where not-for-profit organizations can actually collaborate. And it's like an Angie's list for -for not-for-profits in terms of buying all sorts of services. His big pivot when he was trying to accelerate the growth of his startup was when I stopped obsessing about my solution and started obsessing about the customer problem, that's when I actually started making headway in terms of progress on the product and all of this stuff. So your advice about focusing and talking about the problems that you see, that's fantastic. It's like dead on. I don't want to let go of this thread because I think it's relevant for a lot of sales professionals. So I'm going to throw this out there. So you and I are fairly senior in terms of our careers. And there are going to be people that are junior SDRs or whatever saying, well, that's all great, Jim and Wesleyan, but I'm not you. I don't have 10 plus years of experience to talk about what the problem is. So how can I actually show up in a way that gets people paying attention to me? What's your advice on that? So one thing that salespeople are not doing a good job of is knowing their customer, right? And you must know the customer as good as or better than they know themselves. So literally, if you are a fintech company and your ideal client profile are, let's say they're auto dealerships, Google is your best friend. What challenges do auto dealerships have? What challenges do CMOs at Fortune 500 companies, and you will find blogs, you will find articles. Like, and another thing that people have to do is go read the publications. So if I'm calling on CMOs, I need to be reading Marketing World or whatever they read. If I'm calling on auto dealerships, I need to read on dealership websites, NAD, like the things that your ideal client profile, the kind of information they're consuming is what you should consume. So again, Yes, you got to read stuff about sales. Yes, you have to understand how to do your job, but you have to understand your customer. So when I'm working with teams, I always make them spend that last 60 to 90 minutes at the end of the day prepping for the next day. And what they need to do is who do I, who am I calling? What is my goal for the next day? And we're doing our research. We're setting everything up so that we can just hit the ground running the next day. The day planning is a best practice. We talk about time blocks, or at least I'll just speak for myself, an old head like me uh, talks about time blocking and then planning the night before for your next day so that you're, you can hit the ground running, just like you said. But that's an underrated discipline that a lot of sales professionals don't build out. So that's important too. And I think 
Google and YouTube are your friends when it comes to any sort of research. You can look at answerthepublic.com, which also gives you a lot of not only content ideas, but also what's being said about a particular topic. There's so much stuff that you can learn that will inform you in how you go out in the world. So I want to I want to take this back. So you took a market that is basically tumbleweeds. You did lunch and learns and you blew it up. And then what happened? And then I really fell in love with it. That was when it like clicked in my brain. I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. This is so amazing. And that thrill of every purchase order that came in, every new person. And I really, at that point, I developed my love of teaching, of speaking, because I practiced so much. I did lots of lunch and learns. And then I would have all these new customers and all these new clients. And what I found was that they thought of me as their consultant, right? As the person that they came to and they ask all kinds of questions. I tell people one of the best compliments you can get as a salesperson is when somebody asks you for a product or a service that you have that you don't carry at all, that you do nothing with. It's because they trust your opinion. They value what you do enough to say you do good work. I want somebody else who does good work. You sell a great product. I want another great product just like yours. I'm going to have 238 takeaways coming out of this conversation. So that's good. No, I mean, that everybody talks about, hey, you want to you, you want to get to the point where you're the trusted advisor, you're the trusted consultant. And I think for whatever reason in sales, there's always people tend to talk in cliches, stay curious, be the trusted advisor and all that sort of stuff. And I think if you're looking at building a roadmap to do it, you got to do what Wesleyan did which is educate first, which is inspire, which is push generosity or act in generosity out in the marketplace. And then that's going to build trust at scale. And this was before you have all of these different platforms that you can like apply your ability to build trust at scale. So yes, I, I guess with all of that individual contributor success that you had, they promoted you to chief revenue officer right away. What happened? Right Right away. The thing is, once you become at the top of your game and you're like, okay, so now I want to do something a little bit different, you really have to work at it. And so I learned that I had to become my own advocate, right? So even before I led a team, I was mentoring, right? They would literally send all the new salespeople to my area to do ride-alongs with so they can watch how I worked. Like they were like, we want all of our salespeople to be just like you, Wesleyan. And I was like, great. That's why you should make me a manager. <laughs> so I had to do some things to show them, right? Because a lot of times, one of the hardest things that you can do, it said they say it's hard to get in sales with no sales experience, even though that's changing now, but it's really hard to become a manager with no leadership experience, right? So what do you do? One of the best ways to do that is within your company. Show them, show how you can become a leader. Show them how your leadership shows up in what you're doing. Are you, do you have to always be called on by your manager to update the CRM at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, or are you doing it? Are you the one reaching out to say, hey, I can help you if you need help with this. Oh, I'll hop on that call with you. You need a senior resource. Be that person that shows up for other people. Volunteer to find ways to help. 
elevate your voice. Tune in next time to Cascading Leadership for more of this conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.